become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaSports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to talk from the inside of sports. It's time for G Cobb in the House with Gary Cobb and co-host Micah Warren. We'll talk to and about players, front office personnel, agents, and the newsmakers in and around sports. Now, here are your hosts, G Cobb and Micah Warren. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of G Cobb in the House. I'm Micah Warren. Joined with my buddy Haran Knight from GCobb.com. Haran, how's it going, buddy? Everything's going well. Everything's going well. Except football, but that's okay. Um, oh, at least in this area. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll be talking some Eagles tonight, as always. And then just, it's so easy to do this show when the Eagles are this bad. I mean, you can, you can, we can probably spend a whole hour on their depth chart at, at safety and linebacker. Um, <laughs> we won't do that for, for too long. First of all, we're on, I mean, I don't know for you when it was over. Uh, for me, you don't win that Arizona game. I think you're, you're toast. But people, Continue to say, "Oh, they're still alive mathematically." They're still alive mathematically. Are you buying any of that? I mean, technically, it's true, but do you, do you say, "Hey, well, they still could"? Not at all. Um, I I actually was done. I mean, well, not done completely, but I, I was sick of them after they blew that twenty-three to three lead against San Francisco. To be honest, um, that when you lose, like you said, when you lose Arizona with John Skelton as a starting quarterback. Uh, that that just opened the gates of every type of failure that this team could possibly muster up. Yeah, it was, and you said it, John Skelton as the quarterback. We won a few games this year, but you know, at least if it was Cobb, you could say, "Oh, he was really up for this game. He was playing with extra motivation." Blah blah blah. Right. I still wouldn't have bought it because he's still not that good. Problem with Cobb is Skelton actually has a better record. <laughs> he does. But, I mean, you um, look at that trade now, and I guess the only thing to be determined in that trade is whether or not the Eagles blow the second round pick. Yeah, that's the only thing that can make it bad because DRC. Hello? DRC. Yeah, hello? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Like I was saying, DRC, um, he, he's been too inconsistent for me. And I don't know if he's going to improve next year or what. Um, Kyle probably is going to need some type of protection because he ends up with head injuries no matter what. Yeah, um, as for DRC, you know what? I almost think there's a group of guys that I have to give another year to and that I can't really judge them until next year. Uh, we talked about before the show a little bit. We touched on Nate Allen. I gotta get, he's playing terribly right now. He's, he's brutal. Um, yeah, I can't, I, I mean, yeah. But I gotta give him that year because he's coming off of a, a nasty patellar injury, which, 
you don't just bounce back from. So I'm, I'm going to try and give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's not comfortable. And I want to give DRC the benefit of the doubt one more year. Namdi, I need to give another year. Brandon Graham coming off the injury, although I'm sorry, I'm, my jury is close to deliver, returning to deliberation on that one. Mm-hmm. And, and here, here's why I mentioned DRC and Namdi, even though they're not hurt. DRC's playing in a slot. That's not what he does. Namdi, I've seen it lined up at safety, for God's sake. One of the best man-to-man corners. That's what he does. That's your guy, and then they move him around. So I'm wondering to what extent also I want to see these guys without Castillo. I want to see these guys with a real defensive coordinator that they have not had since the end of 2008, uh, and then obviously Jim Johnson passed away. They don't have a, a decent, legitimate defensive brain in the building. Right. And not only are we talking about Juan Castillo, um, sometimes it looks like the players – once the ball is snapped, they don't look confident at all. They're not confident in the plays being called in. They're not being confident in the linebackers in front of them, of course. And, um, so, or should they? No, no they should. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, they're not that confident in that line if there's a run play. So, <laughs> so there's a bunch of factors that. Uh, and I, I've been guilty of it, too. I've been climbing all over all these guys uh, for their play. Some guys just aren't good enough. Some have to play out of position. And what do you think, Haram, too? I want to know, this is something that hasn't really been talked about, but I keep thinking it. And, and you'll, you'll never know because you'll never get an honest answer unless maybe you get somebody behind closed doors. To what extent do you think the defensive players, like a guy like Namdi, who's been there, done that, he's been in the league, what, since 03, do you think he looks at Castillo and goes, are you serious? Like, do you think the guys even buy into the system? Do they even know what the system is? I don't think anybody knows what the system is. And these are the type of things that happen when you announce the defensive coordinator after all the position coaches have been named. And yeah. you have a one-dimensional line coach to all he's going to do is implement one thing, which is a wide nine. Right. Um you got a brand new linebacker coach in Caldwell. This is this was his first year in a position. Um, I think it was Zordich's first year in a position. And I forget the name of the um, cornerbacks coach that came from San Francisco, but he's not. There's nothing he's done impressive, and he. I think he used to even be a coordinator. I. Uh, it's just so many new faces and people doing things they haven't done. I almost look back and think, we're the idiots back in August for thinking this would work. I mean, I guess we all looked and said, wow, that's a lot of talent. And let's be honest, talent covers up a lot. But right. it just seems like the coaches and the schemes and everything is so, I mean, like, like you said about the wide nine, that's really the only identity that I can put on this defense. Which is I mean, a bad identity because it requires good linebackers. <laughs> I mean, you would think... If you and I know this, how do people making millions and millions and millions of dollars not know this? I mean, you mentioned the uh, the new linebackers coach. You want to talk about it, that guy might just want to kill himself every day. You you seriously want me to get something out of these guys? Are you are you serious? Right. What, what could he possibly do? And it's just a buildup of man. I'm just trying to think of of what defensive moves have been made in the Andy Reid era. I mean, think about it. The defense has dried up once Ray Rhodes' players crapped out. You lost uh, Douglas and Dawson exactly. and Taylor and Vincent and Trotter and those guys. Those were all Ray Rhodes' guys. 
Yeah. I mean, I just don't know why it's so difficult for, for Andy to admit or to bring in someone and say, look, just take care of the defensive side of the ball. He did that with Jim Johnson. He would leave him alone at training camp. That was his half of the ball. Right. What's been done to I mean, just, I, I, I don't know. Don't blame Sean McDermott. The personnel has gotten so bad. You know, he takes the blame for it. Hey, it's you not know, even maybe his fault one, this year in Carolina. They had so many injuries from the beginning. What's that? I'm saying it's not even his fault this year. They, um, Carolina's had so many injuries from the beginning of the season. Yeah, I just look at you look at the talent on the offensive side of the ball, and it's brilliant. I mean, think think about how great of a uh, all right. Well, we'll get into Vic later, but there's so much talent on this offense. It used to be oh, they have no wide receivers. They don't run the ball. They got Shady McCoy looks phenomenal. The offensive line actually looks better than it ever it has in a long time. Right. You know, Jason Peters playing really well. Brent, Stel- Brent Selleck is still a threat. You've got the weapons on the outside with Macklin Jackson. Um, Sean's another discussion, I know. Um, but in theory, all those pieces are in place. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, like, who is making these decisions? It's hard to say. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure who's making the decisions now. Like, you hear, you always hear Andy Reid say he has a final say on everything, but how he says the same thing, right? So, but I, I still don't know who, whose whose responsibility it is. It's um, it's definitely interesting. It, like I don't like this is the time when you start doing mock drafts and you want to mock a linebacker, but it's almost like for what? You know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> They haven't taken a linebacker in the first round since 1979. Exactly. <laughs> when, when they took Jerry Robinson. And you could argue that was mainly because of it for meals tied to UCLA. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching something. Actually, I think you might have said something. Like, he really didn't even want to take him. <laughs> there was somebody else that he wanted that went like a spot or two before him. So he just ended up taking him. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and we can't blame Andy Reid because no one drafted a linebacker back in the uh, 80s. Right. Um, <laughs> but even just look when they tell you know, second-round pick, that's a good investment. You spend a second-round pick on something, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good investment. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matt McCoy, Quentin Caver, I mean, just terrible. What year was Barry Gardner drafted? Oh, Barry Gardner, the year by... <laughs> it was the same year as McNabb in 99. Barry Gardner. <laughs> They can't draft that position. I wonder if that's why they ignore it. <laughs> you know, we're not good at it. Um, even free agents they bring in. Ernie Sims is garbage. Oh, definitely. And there's, there's one linebacker that's out there that everybody keeps looking at, and a lot of mocks have the Eagles taking them next year. That I, I wouldn't want him because his, so far his scouting report that says that every says everything about Ernie Sims comparable. Um, Zach really Brown fast. in North Carolina, <laughs> really fast, but uh, always right. trailing the play and has no instincts whatsoever. We're no football brains. Exactly. <laughs> Great. That's that's what we need more of. Even but see, this is the frustrating thing too. Kirk Morrison was sitting out there forever. Nick Barnett was out there. Stephen Tulloch. What was it even, even like about these guys? But, the main but you're going to get $4 million to a wide receiver who doesn't even get on the field. Right. Steve Smith 
is an absolute waste of time it has been for the Eagles. Recovering from the injury, I don't know about Obviously, he is. That doesn't make you drop off, does it? That doesn't make you duck down a yard before the first down marker on third down. They'll spend $4 million on that and then tell me Casey Matthews is an NFL linebacker. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that they beat the Dolphins last week if Matt Moore didn't get hurt. Right. Lossman's a joke. Yeah, that, yeah, that was the thing. It was it was before even Matt Moore. They, the Dolphins started, actually had control of the, the game. Um, so Jake Long, once he went down, it like opened the doors for the defensive line, and Vernon Carey went down. <laughs> and so and, all of a and sudden. And that's how the Eagles going to win. Right, because, all of a sudden, everybody keeps praising um, Bab, Babin and Cole. Oh, this is the first time two guys had three sacks in the same game. <laughs> I could have had three sacks in that game. <laughs> Seriously. It's like if you look at the score and maybe you watch some highlights, you go, oh, wow, the Eagles got a good win. Right. Not really. They were awful for three of the four quarters. They just happened to really – and you know what? This is important, too. When you get a turnover, you've got to make people pay. You win a lot of games. You get two turnovers a game and you turn those into touchdowns, you win a lot of games that way. Right, and two of the turnovers were inside the 20. One, one got to the one. Right. So, and then the right. other one the other one bailed him out because it was off of that stupid trick play on the punt. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that about? What, I mean, what are they doing? It's like everyone's just giving up. and like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. I mean... I when people sit here and tell me, oh, they're technically still alive. They're technically still alive. Are they? What, what on earth would this team do? Yeah, I, I didn't get that at all because not only was it a trick play on a punt return, you t- you put the ball out of Deshaun Jackson's hands, right, and at Curtis Marsh's hands, who I believe that was like his second time dressing for a game. He's <laughs> might so, be his third. He's he's terrible. So it's like, what what was the purpose of that? It was it was just mind I don't know you know what I I'm almost done just trying to figure out what they're doing but we'll talk more we got to take a break we'll talk more on the other side this is G Cop in the house on VoiceAmericaSports.com. Your internet flagship station for sports Voice America Sports. Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner Talking Baseball with former World Series champion Jim Lairitz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner Talking Baseball with Jim Lairitz is heard every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Kevin Lewis has been a student of the game his entire life, from Little League to the NFL. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Voice America Sports. Hustling with K. Lewis. It's not where you start, it's how you finish. What does building a family mean to you? 
Nobody has experienced the pain and joy of family life in a way that Freddie Scott has. And his experiences in life, in sports, and business can help you create a successful family future. We'll cover many aspects of family building and management with a focus on fatherhood. Men and women want their families to succeed during these tough times. Our show will give you hope for the future and practical tools for a successful family. Tune in to The Freddie Scott Show, tackling the game of life, Mondays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're joined up with G. Cobb in the house, featuring Gary Cobb and co-host Michael Warren. You want to get in on the conversation? Call in now. It's toll-free. 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to GaryCobb at AOL.com. Remember, two R's and two B's in that name. Now back to G. Cobb in the house. Hey, all right, we're right here on the Eagles for a little while here. I'm G. Cobb in the house. I'm Michael Warren along with Ron Knight. Uh, we'll talk a little baseball, and uh, we'll get into some Phillies, because I, I just get drained when we talk about the Eagles run. I guess, you know, I need a nap. Yeah, take a uh, break. <laughs> have you been following any of this, uh, you Darvish guy, the Japanese pitcher? Uh, the following, what, what is it again? This guy, you Darvish, he's a 25-year-old Japanese pitcher. I guess he's another, I, I just don't get it. These teams spend so much money just to get the rights to negotiate with the guy. Right, I haven't followed him too much, but I, I've heard I've heard of that. It's starting to pick up as far as I guess he's supposed to be the next great pitcher. Um, I forget how old he is. He's not that old either. He's 25, and I honestly I honestly haven't been following him either. I just keep seeing headlines here and there, and I don't know much about. Obviously, I don't watch a ton of Japanese league baseball. Right. But I just look at a situation where that's a lot of money. It's almost as stupid as the top draft picks in NFL used to be, where it's like you're getting a lot of money to a guy who's never done it on, on this level. Right. I mean, look at look at Dice K. God. Brutal. I mean, if you're going to do that with somebody for, all the way from another league, it's almost like but you don't you don't even hold, hold that high the prospects that you draft and put, and put in your farm system. No, it's true. It's true. So, um, and, and moving over to the Phillies, it's kind of this back and forth now with Jimmy Rollins where the reports are that he's nowhere close. And then there was a report that he's going to be signing in minutes. And then they said, no, they're not, they're not close. Uh, I, I think they both kind of need each other right now. The, the Phillies, the closest prospect they have in their system is Freddie Galvis. Right. I haven't heard anyone even remotely insinuate that he's ready to be a shortstop on a major league team, let alone one that wants to win it all. Yeah. And, um, and the, the issue with that is the only reason why you really hear about Galvis is because of a possibility of Rollins not coming back, not because he's the next, the next best Derek Jeter or Rollins or anything. It's just because it's almost like they just had no other choice. You're exactly right. I've never heard anything about him being you know all world or anything. It just seems like there's such a he's the. He's the next rung on the ladder. He's <laughs> right, and there's a big hole there. And we've seen some other uh, shortstops have signed elsewhere, and that limits what the Phillies have left. That limits what Rollins has left. 
I mean, his pipe dream of this five-year contract at 33 years old. Yeah, he needs to get when, over it. I think he has to. If he gets a fourth-year team option, he should be thrilled. Right. And, I mean, and I think that's probably the biggest thing. I don't know how many years the Phillies have offered him, but the minute I saw the press conference where he said five years or somebody asked about an option, he's like, yeah, my option. <laughs> so, and uh, it's like, just, just let it go. Nobody's going to give you that many years. And I think that's the reason. He, somebody really wanted to give him five years. He would have been signed by now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's rumors now that the, the Detroit Tigers could be in the mix, um, but a lot of that stuff you know. I think that was fabricated by the um, agent because yeah. the Tigers' payroll at this point is pretty much at their, their personal max. Yeah. And it's just, I'm just looking at his numbers, 268, but he, he's so tough because you love having him on the team. Right. You could look at his numbers and say, why do you love having this guy on the team? He, he brings a personality, and one thing I will give him is he he talks a lot, but he also talks in a way where it motivates him and the team that I guess we got to back it up now. <laughs> well, yeah, he did that in 2007 where, of course, everyone gets the quote wrong. But right. after they got Freddie Garcia, he's like, finally, we're the team to beat. Right. And everyone got, got on him, and all the Mets fans, oh, I lived up there, I lived up in the New York area during that. And they're oh, crying, whining about, he's he talking smack, just shut up, relax. Anybody that knows anything about that Phillies team in particular, there was a stretch of several years where they just couldn't get over that hump. There was, right, it was there right. It always came down to that last week. And they just weren't good enough. They just never got there. That team needed somebody to go out there and say that. And they needed to start believing that they were winners. So the idea that he was running his mouth, I think, I mean, it's probably more smack talk when you look at the 2008 World Championship rally where he said, uh, was it, uh, Johan Santana is a great pitcher, but it takes more than one guy to win a championship. Right. <laughs> and I just started thinking, like, that's unnecessary. You got right. the rings. You didn't need to take that shot. But your point is well made, Ron. I get it. He's not Deshaun Jackson. No, not at all. He he provides good swagger, which Deshaun could provide too, but all the other nonsense gets in the way. But and you look at Rollins and look how he hit in the World Series. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, the playoff this year. He's like the only guy doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. And losing him is tough, but his options are 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 short now. Um, if if indeed the Tigers are even interested, Uh, I don't even know who another team would be. like all the teams I heard that need a shortstop aren't even the ones that like are remotely interested. Right. Maybe the Marlins. So then they could move Jose Reyes to third and make Hanley Ramirez a catcher. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's kind of that's kind of what they did. Uh, oh, we we already have a great shortstop. Let's bring another one in at top dollar. I don't completely get that. We'll see how that works out, but. A little segue, because, Haran, I'll ask you this. There are reports that the Marlins will listen on Hanley. They will listen on what? On Hanley Ramirez. Okay. Now, he's got 45, 46 and a half remaining for the next three years. Money? Okay. Not cheap. Not at all. But if you, they did trim some payroll. I'm wondering, would the Phillies be able to afford that? But I, I, 
See, it's so tough because he's coming off an injury year. He had a down year, and you want to talk about a guy that's got some Deshaun Jackson in him. That guy dogs it on a daily basis. I mean, did you see the ball he kicked into the corner outfield? It was sometimes this year. He's chasing down a ball, like a fly ball drops on him. He kicks it backward and then kind of walks to go get it as people are rounding the bases. I, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I missed that one. <laughs> It's just so funny. He's like, dude, are you serious? Like, that's just deflating your entire team. When he's healthy and focused, he's one of the best players in baseball. Right. Would you take it? See, here's what I wouldn't do. I can't keep cleaning out the farm system. Right. Yeah, they almost have it. No pieces left for everything that they did. Um, I don't know if I would take Romero. Like, you said 45 over the next three years. Something like that. When you do that with his attitude, it's, it's, it's a huge risk. It is a huge risk. I just haven't heard anyone talking about it because here's my, my, my guess is that the Marlins, when they say they're listening, they're listening in a very unreasonable fashion. And if someone wants to Carson Palmer it up, they'll do it. Right. That's <laughs> one of those type of deals. It, I don't think that will be an off-season trade. That will be something that will happen at the trade deadline in the summer probably because you have a better outlook of where your team is, and that goes for everybody. Right, right. You know, everyone's got high hopes now. You know, if the Marlins are in the tank and he's got a bad attitude, you know, right. I'd, I'd be open to that. But you're not going to do that if you re-sign Rollins, which I have a feeling they will. What's your gut say? You have a feeling they will, or you think it's not going to happen? My gut, my gut says Rollins will be back in Philly. Um, I, it, it's almost like they're just... It's just a stare down, just trying to see who's going to budge first. But I think deep inside, Rollins doesn't want to go anywhere. And when, when you're sitting out here this long, it's, people are really seeing that, that. You really realize that you're not going to get what, what exactly it is that you want. So sooner or later, he's just going to break down and realize this is the best situation for him, especially if, if it's still important for him to be part of a winning team as well, like he said. Yeah, um, taking money to go, you know, I could see him uh, maybe if Oakland was interested because that's where he's from, Right. Uh, you know, winding down your career at home. But here's something I just saw when I was, I Googled Jimmy Rollins. I just wanted to see his, uh, his full stat line from last year. And some of the news articles are, I don't know if this, this can't, I mean, I, there's, there's a bunch of people saying that Dontrell Willis thinks they're going to resign him and he's going to help them resign him. Now, if you don't know, Willis and, and Rollins go back. Uh, he, they're both from Alameda, right? They went to the same high school? Right. Yeah, I think Rollins was like a senior when he was a freshman or something. Okay, well, my question is, does Dontrell Willis, a guy who's hoping to land a lefty specialist spot in your bullpen, have any kind of juice to make any kind of influential decisions? Well, it does sound like he has a Tim and Rollins have a, a real tight relationship. So, and if he has like any gut feeling or any inside thought that Rollins is going to come back, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say that guarantees that he's coming back, but he might be the closest. He might have the closest knowledge of what what actually might happen. No, you're exactly right. So if he says he thinks that he can come back, you're right. He probably is like like when um, Archie Manning was saying Andrew Luck and Peyton won't play together. 
they don't want to be on the same team together. Right. Yeah, I'm going to guess he knows something we don't. <laughs> yeah, right, Arcee. You just, yeah, I don't, just I don't think it's a situation where his, his signing is that influential where it's like, oh, Willis is here. I better, I better get back over here and start renegotiating or anything like that. But I hope it helps. That's great. I just I worry about breaking the bank on this guy because of his age. His game's predicated on speed, so that's going to go at some point. Uh, you know, he's played 30 bags last year, so that's, you know, that's, that's still that's still good. Right. But when I look at the whole team, I worry that that's what it's becoming. And I worry about his hamstring, have... though. What's that? <laughs> I worry about Rollins' hamstring. He is one of those things that, because he, he was on the DL twice last year, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I think so. He comes and goes. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> One that's, about, that's about the biggest concern of mine with them. But okay, so you look. Let's say they, they do get Rollins, and you do have some injury issues. He's getting a little older. Chase Utley, what about his knee? Ryan Howard, what about his popped Achilles? Well, that's that's a whole nother. I'm, I'm more concerned about them than Rollins, actually, especially Utley. Um, that was not something he had surgery on. That was like a just a knee problem that they couldn't figure out. Right. What's to say that's not going to come back? And Rollins not hitting that well. Is this no. the Chase Utley we knew from a few years ago? No way. No, he, he, I remember the World Series year, I mean, that he definitely, in the, in the year that they lost, um, he almost single-handedly won some games for them. Mm-hmm. This, the guy that's out there now, he doesn't even look like he's into it. It looks like he's playing more just to stay healthy. I don't see him really, it, do, it doesn't look like the same person. <laughs> No, it doesn't really. And I, you know he's trying and everything like that, but two fifty nine, right? That's not going to get it. Not not for what we expect out of Chase Utley. You know, eleven home runs. I know. Well, that's yeah, it's kind of tough to judge the home runs because he started so late. But this is like, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons to be concerned with this Phillies team. We'll talk more football and whatever else on the other side when we get back. We got to take a break. This is G Cobb in the house on VoiceAmericaSports.com. Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. We some hard hitters, we some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard Hitting Radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. What's the national pastime in the U.S. in the 21st century? Are you sure? Think again. Three out of four Americans have made NFL football the true American pastime. It's now one of the fastest growing sports in the world. But how do we as fans understand everything that goes on behind the scenes? Tune in to Enter the League with Eugene T. Lee Esquire as your host. Eugene was the featured NFL agent in the ESPN acclaimed documentary, The Dotted Line. And now he takes his expertise to the Voice America Sports Channel. Listen every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're joined up with G Cobb in the house featuring Gary Cobb and co-host Michael Warren. You want to get in on the conversation? Call in now. It's toll free. 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to GaryCobb at AOL.com. Remember, two R's and two B's in that name. Now back to G Cobb in the house. All right, we are back here at G-Cobb in the House. I am Michael Warren, along with Ron Nice and G-Cobb.com. And before we get into more football stuff, I do want to touch on what we were talking about during the break. And, and baseball's got to change this. And again, it's going to sound like I'm crying because uh, the Phillies lost, and I'm not at all. Uh, I've been saying this for quite some time. Um, the the five-game series, you play 162 games. And let's say you wrap up your division early. Maybe you're sitting some guys. I'm not saying that you're supposed to take your foot off the gas pedal or anything like that, but it's a different situation than maybe a wild card team that is in a hot race. They have been playing for their lives for a month, and they come in and it's just completely different mindsets, and it's a five-game series. Seven-game series, I don't think the Cardinals win that. I don't think That's they true. do. And, and it's not just the Phillies that's happened. We've seen it happen to the Yankees how many times? Happened to them. It's happened to. Um, I forget. I think it's happened to the Red Sox a couple of times. Yeah, you, you know what? What's funny is, if you, remember two thousand seven when the Phillies. The Phillies were in a similar position as the Rockies. They were. Uh, they weren't as hot. But that two thousand seven came down to what the last Saturday or Sunday in the season for them to uh, to win the division. Right. The Rockies won like twenty of twenty one coming in, and were an absolute buzzsaw. They ripped uh-huh. up the Phillies. They, I forget who they beat in the NLCS, but if you remember, they mopped them up too. Right. Which I think ultimately hurt them the most. The Red Sox took six or seven games to get through their series. So finally, the Rockies just had days to sit and do nothing. And I think that helped the Red Sox a lot. Yeah, Um, definitely. But yeah, that's just the the five game series really bugs me. I'm not, I'm not blaming them on the Phillies losing because the truth is, if you have to pin it on one guy, there's one guy getting $20 million. And he had a four-run lead in game two. He wins that. They sweep the Cardinals. And no one wants to say it because it's Cliff Lee. You can't say anything bad about Cliff Lee. He's Cliff Lee. Uh, he blew but that game. I will. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying he choked. He didn't choke. He had a bad day. He picked a bad day to have a bad day. Right. And, I mean, it's just the nature of the business. But, like you said, um, I don't understand a five-game series either, especially when something like, you know, the NBA, their first round, they, they expanded it to seven games. If they can do it, baseball definitely should be able to. Yeah, what's two more games? You're already in November now. And right. it should be noted that I used to be a huge Seattle Supersonics fan when I was a kid. 
I used to love Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. I still remember the Kemi Mitchell holding that ball. No, nineteen ninety-three. What's that? You're talking about the year Mitchell knocked him out as an eight. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I you know I was what fourteen, fifteen years old. I was just heartbroken. I was like, no. Right. It was the first time a five had ever or an eight had ever beaten a one. Right. That was like, oh, first time ever. But that's what happens, especially early on in the '90s. That's what happened around here. Is you like basketball? Well, you better pick another team because you just drafted Sharon Wright and Sean Bradley. Clarence <laughs> <laughs> West. Even even, so even there was a lot of times during those five game series that those games went to they they ended up in five games. It, it, it really is. You play too many games to have the first round decided by. It, it's just a huge disadvantage considering you should be rewarded for winning your division. Right. It should be a reward. But I, I know they're talking about uh, they're making some changes. We'll see what they do. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe the Phillies will be the wild card next year. But enough baseball. I have to ask you about this because everyone else is talking about it, and it's becoming a new Brett Favre, and I'm already annoyed. Tim Tebow. Um, I, I know everyone just blocked. I, oh God, I just get so frustrated talking about it. I can't figure it out. I mean, the, the guy is playing so well in the fourth quarter, which is great, but the other three quarters, he's just terrible. It's not I even mean, the other three quarters. It's, a, it's a other 55 minutes. I mean, he, he doesn't turn it on until there's five minutes or less left in the game. Like, they didn't... They didn't even score. Denver didn't even score this past week until, like, right before the two-minute warning. <laughs> it's, so, it's so bizarre. It is so bizarre. Uh, you almost think they should, like, let uh, Brady Quinn play for three quarters and put Tebow, make Tebow your Jonathan Papelbon, make him your closer. And, and what gets lost in all of this, I mean, yeah, Tebow, he's played well in those last couple of minutes, and, each week, I will, I will say he's starting to improve a little bit as a passer. He's, he's still he's still got a long ways to go. If it wasn't for that defense, coordinated by somebody that should be here, but I'm not going to complain. <laughs> but that defense keeps him in everything. And then he, he let, he at my high stadium, or he have a kicker that consistently kicks fifty plus. Fifty yard plus field goals. How good? Yeah, they're going to stay in it. <laughs> Prater is unbelievable. And after these games, everyone's like, "Oh, Tebow, he kicked a fifty nine yard field goal." Yeah, they don't mention his name at all after the game. I'm like, how do you not talk about? I mean, if when it, even during the Elway Terrell Davis days, you still talked a lot about Jason Elam. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what irritates the hell out of me with media and fans. Um, they just there's one in particular that gets on my nerves. <laughs> What's that? There's one guy in particular that gets on my nerves, but I can't avoid listening to him and Stephen A. Smith argue. Who is it? Skip Bayless. <laughs> oh, Skip Bayless. Hey, I, was, I was thinking radio stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. He's he's just anti everything. He hates everybody. Hey, but everyone gonna... downgrades the kicking position. Right. Yeah, I can't. If you want to tell me, you want to argue that a kicker is too important to the game, that all these guys go out and fight and then he decides the game, I'll listen to that. That's different. But as it is now, his leg is worth three points with every swing. Yep. And, all right, 
So people, they don't want to mention Prater. Well, oh, it's Tebow, it's Tebow. Prater misses those field goals. We ain't talking about Tim Tebow. If Adam Vinatieri misses a few kicks, are we talking about Brady and Belichick? No, not at all. Especially after the Tech girl. I mean, with, you know, Bill, Belichick might be Andy Reid without a couple of those kicks. And, and one thing people don't ever talk about with Vinatieri, um, the Colts didn't even get to the Super Bowl until he signed with them. <laughs> You're exactly right. <laughs> and he was brought in just for that. I remember they were showing the opening warm-ups, and they showed Vinatieri as he was getting ready to kick off. And I was like, this is the day. This is why they signed you for this right here. Yep. Because, all right, here's another one. When we talk about coaching vacancies, who are we talk? Oh, Cowher. we got to get Cowher. He's a Super Bowl. He's got a Super Bowl ring. Are we talking about Bill Cowher if Vanderjack makes that kick? Right. He's just another, he's another quote-unquote Andy Reid that couldn't get it done. It's just, it's so amazing to me that it's so important to have a great kicker. Look what Akers did for the Eagles early on. If, if Andy didn't have Akers, he might be out of a job by now. You never know. That's true. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember in 2000 in Pittsburgh, they were down 10 with about two minutes left, and they did have a touchdown onside kick. Akers right. ran out of the field, no timeouts. The clock is running down. He didn't even have time to get set. He didn't stop. He ran onto the field and made the kick. Another guy, what's his name? Uh, the Vikings probably would have had a Super Bowl by now if Martin Anderson didn't. Was it Martin Anderson? Gary. Gary Anderson. But, yeah, he had, like, I forget how many consecutive um, field goals, and then, then he decides to miss one. I think it was in the 30s. It right. was a lot. And <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of them. And he gets kept talking about it. Next thing you know, he misses it, and they lose in overtime. Mm-hmm. And then we're all robbed because all year, what do we want to see? Vikings, Denver. That was right. the Super Bowl we wanted. 15-1, and one, the Vikings were lighting up everybody. Exactly. And they were going to play. Instead, I mean, I'll give credit to the Falcons. They made it. But I was just like, ugh. Well, they was allowed <laughs> back in that game because I forget. I think um, Minnesota was up at 20-7 to seven at one point, and they just let their foot off the gas. Uh, I think what happened, too, remember Randy Moss had busted ribs in that game and they kept him out there as a decoy? Okay, right. So it, it was kind of like a waste of time. Uh, it wasn't the same offense at that point. Right. But, but the kickers are, they make other people's careers. Definitely. Uh, and yet we're talking about Tim Tebow, not Prater. Prater, man, that's, that's ice in the veins right there. Give that guy credit. Well, and, and like you said, the defense. Which I give a lot. I give them a lot of credit because in the last few years, remember Cutler used to be just he threw for four thousand yards because they had to all the time. The defense was so bad, right? And God, if AFC Defensive Rookie of the Year isn't Von Miller, I don't know who it would be. Mm-hmm. This is almost like um, what he's talking about the kicker. You know, with with Denver, you keep talking about how Tebow just wins games, but you're not giving credit to the kicker. Then you go into someplace that we all hate, like Dallas, where the kicker almost has, I don't care what Jerry Jones says, has Garrett on a hot seat. Uh, yeah, you could you could definitely argue that, even though, <laughs> even though he did technically tie the game last week. Yeah. But, but they pulled the timeout thing on him, and then the next time it got blocked. So in that case, it worked. The week before, he gets iced by his own coach. Right. So, I mean, 
if Garrett goes, I, I understand completely what you're saying. If Garrett goes, though, that's on Garrett. Um, but you're right. A few, get, a few more get made. All of a sudden, you're in a different position. You have a, maybe a two-game lead on the division. They have nine wins. <laughs> and already had, pretty much already had some divisions sealed up if it wasn't for those two kicks. I mean, everyone, I just think that it's so easy to blame the kicker when things don't go right. Right. But when they do, it's like, eh, well, that's what you're supposed to do. All right. Well, I'm actually, one thing that, I, speaking of that game against the Giants, everybody keeps talking about the kicker, the things that Jason Garrett isn't doing. I think Dallas had a chance to close out that game with this one little first down. But yeah. Tony Romo overthrows Austin on a wide-open play that probably would have scored a touchdown. So, but nobody really wants to talk about that. <laughs> no. No, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable if you look at Dallas' season. You know, it, the Eagles to a lesser extent because the Cowboys at least found a way to win one or more of those games. Right. And the Eagles just continue to lose them. But they're not that different. It's just the same stupid crap throwing two pick sixes to Detroit. You know, yeah. I mean... This division's a mess. We'll get to uh, we'll get to more on the other side. We got to take a break though. Uh, this is G Cobb in the house on VoiceAmericaSports.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific on the voice america sports channel if you want to talk about the east coast sports scene particularly from the southeast make sure you tune in to the jeff owen show every tuesday yeah we'll talk about some of the other teams and news that's out there but host jeff owens and co-host tasha humphrey know the inside and out of the georgia college sports world and they were born there raised there and still live the scene we'll talk about every sport imaginable Tune in on Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're joined up with G Cobb in the house featuring Gary Cobb and co-host Michael Warren. If you want to get in on the conversation, call in now. It's toll free. 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to GaryCobb at AOL.com. Remember, two R's and two B's in that name. Now back to G Cobb in the house. All right, wrapping things up on a Friday night. This is G Cobb in the house. I'm Michael Warren. I'm with Ron Knight talking some football, and I was going to take a look at some of these games and go over some of the games this weekend, but something else, when I went to NFL.com, 
popped up. And it's just interesting to see how different players handle their contract situations. And I'm not here to tell anybody how to do it. You're playing a very rough game. But right. on the homepage at NFL.com, who's there? Ray Rice. Anyone talking about his contract? Nobody. Nope. He's not saying a word. And he is an undersized guy, and he's a bell cow. You know, he could, he could get he's a very easily beat up. But you look at guys that, four guys that really all handle it differently. Ray Rice, Matt Forte, Deshaun Jackson, and Chris Johnson. All pretty much in the same situation, although some of the guys are getting paid more than others. Right. You got Chris Johnson who held out and got what he wanted. They didn't and, get what they wanted. <laughs> and then proceeded to stink to join up. Ray Rice has done nothing. He's said nothing. He hasn't held out. He hasn't been a, nothing. You have Deshaun Jackson who sort of tried to hold out, then realized, oh, they're not going to negotiate with me unless I'm here, which is kind of a lie, too. Right. And he's out there playing for a contract, but he's dogging it. Pretty much admittedly dogging it. Mm-hmm. And then you had Forte who said, I want a new contract, but I'm still going to play, and he played his behind off. Uh, he's the one I feel sorry for the most because... Uh, he he almost ruined everything, but luckily it's just a sprain. But it goes to show you, this is why when everyone gets on Deshaun Jackson for dogging it, I understand both sides of it. <laughs> the Eagles screwed up by not getting a paid, because now he's dogging it, knowing his next play could be his last. He's an undersized guy. He's had concussion problems. And he said, well, you should go play it. But on the other hand, he's not doing himself any favors. He's, he's, just he's minimizing his value by dog, dogging it out on the field. That, that's, that's my biggest issue with him. And that, what, that he's dogging it? Yeah, because, I mean, fever, I mean, I mean, somebody's going to take him. But the more he dogs it, the more it looks like he's just playing lackadaisical on each play. Um, he's, he's taking money out of his own pocket. He is. However, he's kind of screwed because if he goes out and plays hard and gets popped, he's taking money out of his own pocket. That's true, too. <laughs> well, I, I understand, but and, all right, to what degree are the Eagles responsible for, for letting this situation get to where it is? Because every day they waited to pay him, he got that much worse. I, I definitely blame both sides. and They have a history for this. Like, I mean, he's definitely not the first person that felt, felt that they was underpaid by the Eagles. And... I mean, you have people out there that, like Sheldon Brown or Lito, that felt underpaid with their second contract. So, but th- this situation is probably by far, far the worst handled one because you just can't leave, keep leaving it, hang out, and then you go out and sign all these other free agents, one who just comes off a of microfracture surgery. And you gave him $4 million. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that part I can understand is frustration. Um, the other three guys, I actually feel more for Forte, Rice, and um, Johnson for the simple fact that their position just has such a shorter shelf life. Sure. So they have to get as much as they can as possible. And especially when you see somebody like Matt Forte, you lose, your MCL starts getting damaged. And that almost takes away your, your, your game, especially his style of running. Oh, once things start going on your legs, I mean, and then you lose that, excuse me, just half quarter step and you're not hitting the hole the way you used to. Right. It's a different Look at Sean, Alex- Sean Alexander. Sean Alexander sticks out to me the most. 
What's that? Uh, Sean Alexander. Me and one of my friends talk about him all the time, how one year he's an MVP, very next season he just was off the mat because his legs just went from under him. That went from under him. I think he got he turned gutless, too. Remember he used to turn his back in the hole? True. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Come on, man. That's terrible. That's terrible. But I do, I, I, I just think that it, you can understand when you see Deshaun Jackson look over and be like, I've done what for you? And you go br- sign a guy coming off a microfracture surgery that might not even be ready you know, for weeks, and you give right. him $4 million like nothing? I mean, for a lot of this, I thought he's played good soldier a little bit. I mean, it's just gotten pretty bad now, but I, I think for a long period of time, especially when you talk about how the Eagles handle contracts, any other player that showed this type of ability and this type of talent, regardless of position, the Eagles would have locked them up after two years. Right. And it, it all depends on what, what he's been asking for. I, uh, well, that's true, too. His, his agent is probably overvaluing him right now, but that he, would be tough. To he, he has to come to grips of how much this guy is actually going to get as well. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that, that's the other side of it too, uh, Harana, that we don't know. You know, have the Eagles had offers on the table that were reasonable and he turned down? Because if that's the case, then this is your own fault. Right. I mean, I can believe I can believe either side. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we, you and I talked about this months ago on the show. Uh, if he wanted Santonio money, would you take him or Santonio? I would take Santonio because he's um. You you can throw a slant to him. You can. He's more dependable on the red zone. And yep. he's, so, I mean, those, those situations, he, he's, he's a more overall, overall as a receiver, he's, he's, a, he's a lot better. He's not the deep threat that Deshaun is, but he's a better overall re- receiver to me. He's more complete, for sure. Right. Uh, Deshaun has uh, clear holes in his game, but he's so good at what he's good at, you overlook it because he just does things that other people don't do. I would take Deshaun over Sidney Rice. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> he missed half the season last understand. year. Yeah, he already played last year, and he's injured this year. I don't know what Seattle didn't see. <laughs> and well, you're also talking about forty-eight million. That you, that's the one guy that I would complain. I, I would use as leverage the most. <laughs> like, I mean, at least Deshaun. Even this year, he could still get over a thousand yards after all is said and done. Right. On like 10 catches. Right. <laughs> but but the, the Seahawks, though, you know, is it Russell is still there? I mean, oh, it's John Schneider. Um, it, he traded for Charlie Whitehurst, who's terrible. He signed Tavares Jackson this offseason and then said, quarterback problem solved. I mean, so... No, nothing the Seahawks do really, really shocks me. What was funny about them signing Tavares Jackson, that whole, before the lockout was lifted, that was a guy I thought that would come sign with the Eagles as a backup quarterback. Right. Y'all give him his contract to be a starter. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd probably rather have him as a backup than Vince Young. Right. Who has, Vince, I, I, I had higher hopes for him, but he's just, he is, you want to talk about not a leader. People used to get on Donovan. Oh, he's not a leader. He's not. No. This is what not a leader looks like. Well, definitely. You get blown out. You get blown out by the Patriots, and then they ask you how you did it. Oh, I did okay. 
Really? Yeah, he, I, did, I did okay. He just got to cut down the turnovers. I mean, that's part of the game. <laughs> would you ever hear that out of Tom Brady's mouth after a loss? Tom Brady would have the same. Tom Brady could have had those same numbers, won the game, and he would have said, "Yeah, we won, but technically, I suck." <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Over on the other side, is in the locker room, Brady after that game, who just put on a clinic. They never take him out of games. They took him out of the game. Mm-hmm. So he was just destroying them at will, and he said, oh, "I was okay." Same example. Because Vince Young looked at his numbers and said, "Oh, four hundred yards. That must have been pretty good." Right. That is, just put that in a list of mistakes the Eagles have made. Um, Almost like Ash McNabb. McNabb had a bunch of yards in the Super Bowl, but nobody ever talks about it because of the three, three interceptions. Three, three touchdowns, 357 yards, two interceptions, because the last one didn't matter as far as I'm concerned. That was over at that point. But true, too. I want to wrap <laughs> things up. we got to run. Haran, I want to thank you for joining me. It's always a pleasure here no on g in the house. We'll see you guys next week. Everybody behave yourself. Have a good weekend. Time to break the huddle. We'll be back again next Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern for another edition of G Cobb in the House with Gary Cobb and Micah Warren. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you again soon.